0: Maybe you're all too aware of the problem of sin, of the problem of your guilt. You've come to Jesus for cleansing before now, but you find it hard to be truly convinced that you're clean, that you're forgiven. The teaching of chapter 10 is here to convince you and assure you that the cleansing of Jesus Christ at the cross is complete for those who trust in him.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller, and uh, today we continue to look at our series, So Great a Salvation, and Jonathan, I think you have probably struck a nerve with some who have said, yeah, I'm not sure that uh, everything I've done can be completely forgiven. I mean, how many times as a pastor have you heard something along the lines of, well, I know the Bible says that God has forgiven me, and you almost know what's coming next, (laughs) but I can't forgive myself. How do you respond to that?
0: Well, I think when believers go through seasons like that and many will and perhaps some listening today are are precisely there in the situation you've just described, maybe because of some particular failure, some particular sin, and you you know you wonder is this forgivable? Uh have I have I have I crossed a line here which now puts me beyond the realm of what God will God will deal with or or the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient to deal with, or something like that. You know, we need to return to objective truth, to what the Scriptures teach us about the work of Christ at the cross, and the Scriptures remind us that the work of Jesus is sufficient to deal with any sin. It is complete, it is final, and it does not need to be amended, updated, repeated, or improved upon. It is It is God's Finished work to deal with the sin of his people and hebrews chapter 10 which we're going to look at today explores that truth and opens up that truth in a very very wonderful way
1: well you just heard where we're going in god's word today so if you don't have a bible open already hope you'll grab one and join us there in hebrews chapter 10 as we begin this message called a complete salvation here is jonathan
0: Well, I think it's fair to say that the world has coronavirus on the mind just at the moment. And amidst all the concerns surrounding that, the experts seem to be telling us that the main thing we can do just now is practice good hygiene. You know, wash hands, disinfect surfaces, and and get on with life best as we can. Yesterday, as a family, we thought we might take that advice and go to the store and and buy some hand sanitizer just to have with us, mostly for the kids when we're out and about. Uh, So we went looking for some in, in various stores. It was quite an interesting experience trying to do that in Ottawa yesterday. The first pharmacy that we went into had run out. When we told the lady at the desk what we were looking for, she just kind of shook her head and and gave us a bit of a pitying look. She told us that most pharmacies in the city would be running out. The next shop we went to, not a pharmacy this time, they had a very limited supply left. But when we found the few remaining bottles at the bottom of a a shelf, another customer rushed over, clearly completely panicked that we were going to take all of the rest of the remaining supply. And she wouldn't get any of it. The news has been filled, hasn't it, with images of people in white suits spraying disinfectant in train stations and planes and buses in places in South Korea and elsewhere now, trying to cleanse away that virus. But, of course, the reality is that no matter how carefully we sanitize our hands or spray down public places, it's hard to be confident that the virus will be gone from any surface and will be truly safe. How can we be sure? Of course, we can't be sure however dangerous coronavirus may be, and it is clearly able to kill, the scriptures would tell us that the problem of sin within the human heart is far more dangerous and far more grave. The sin that defiles the human heart, it is guaranteed to kill the human soul. Guaranteed to lead to everlasting judgment if if it is not cleansed in a definitive and final way. A partial cleansing will not do. Our only hope is a complete eradication. As we return this week to the wonderful book of Hebrews and we land here in chapter 10, the writer sets out to convince us and to assure us that Jesus has provided the comprehensive solution to the problem of sin, to the problem of defilement of the human heart. He wants us to know and believe that the work of Christ is complete and effective in cleansing the human heart of sin, complete and effective in a way that the sacrifices of the Old Covenant never were and never could be. Like most of the letters of the New Testament, Hebrews is written to speak into a particular situation. It's written to speak into a situation of some urgency. We might even say a situation of crisis. And as far as we can tell and discern, the crisis standing behind Hebrews is simply this. Jewish background believers within this particular local church are being tempted to abandon their trust in Jesus and him alone and revert to the old ways of Judaism that they had known so well. And we can just imagine the kind of factors that would motivate and drive that. Friends and family from the synagogue are looking on to these converts to Christ and they're baffled by what they've done. They're, they're concerned about the implications of this move to trusting in Jesus. If these folk abandon Judaism, if they abandon the rites and the rituals of the temple system, the sacrifices, the offerings, well, if they do that, they are putting themselves beyond the reach of the temple priests and the temple offerings to deal with their sins. These people, they talk about a sacrifice at a Roman cross and a high priest in heaven, but, but that's not what we've known. It sounds risky. It sounds untested. It sounds dangerous. After all, sin, it's the great problem of the human heart. The Old Testament has taught us that very well. The defilement of sin, it's serious. And God's judgment of sin, well, it's real. How can these folk have any assurance of the forgiveness of sin, of the cleansing of their heart, of their right standing before God if they're not with us at the temple, if they're not with us at the synagogue? And so the pressure begins to mount. Come back to Judaism. Come back to the synagogue. Come back to the temple. Come back to the place of traditional tried and true cleansing. The place of spiritual safety. But the writer, he doesn't want these believers to be shaken in their confidence in Jesus. He doesn't want their trust to be undermined. He doesn't want them going anywhere for cleansing and safety and security other than to the Lord Jesus himself. Now for most of us here in this room today, we won't be considering leaving Christ to return to Judaism. That's probably not on the radar for very many of us here But you know, the fundamental issues that the writer is dealing with here in chapter 10, the issue of sin, of cleansing, of assurance, these are real issues for each one of us here today. And we need to grapple with them just as deeply and just as carefully as these first century believers needed to grapple with them. We need to... Grapple with them if these are issues actually that we're not thinking very much about at all. Maybe you're here today as someone who has never really thought about this whole question of sin, of how God deals with your wrongdoing and views your wrongdoing, how it impacts your standing before him and even your eternal future. The section of Hebrews that we're looking at today was written to teach us about the solution, God's solution, to the problem of sin, how to be cleansed in the sight of God, but perhaps you're not even aware of the problem and its dynamics. Well, if that's you, let me urge you, let me invite you, follow closely what the writer is saying here in these verses in chapter 10. Follow closely because he is telling you and he is telling me That the problem of sin is so very serious that blood had to be shed to deal with it. The problem of sin is so serious that God's own son had to die to address it. And that much, even if we don't take anything else away from it, that much tells you that your sin problem, your sin issue, it needs to be confronted. It needs to be dealt with in an urgent way. Maybe for others here, I don't know. Maybe you're all too aware of the problem of sin, of the problem of your guilt. You're you're all too aware of what God thinks of your behavior, of what you've thought and said and done. You, You feel defiled, if you're honest about it. You feel unclean because of your sin. You may be a Christian believer. You've come to Jesus for cleansing before now. But you find it hard to be truly convinced that you're clean that you're forgiven, that you're accepted. Well, if that's you, and I suspect it may be many here, the teaching of chapter 10 is here to convince you and assure you that the cleansing of Jesus Christ at the cross is complete and is final, is entirely effective for those who trust in him. The writer set out in these verses to convince these Jewish background believers that the work of Jesus at the cross, it's complete, it's final, sufficient for the forgiveness of sins, and to do that, in order to convince them, he sets out to show them both the inadequacy of the old sacrifices, and at the same time to demonstrate to them the perfection of what has now come in Christ. That's his strategy, that's his dual focus, that's his approach. But, you know, navigating the relationship between the sacrifices of the old system and the sacrifice of Jesus, that's actually no easy thing for us to navigate. After all, when we stand back and think about it, we recognize that the old covenant sacrifices were established by God himself. He set that out in his law. He called for that to be done. And so, if all of that is now set aside and shown to be inadequate, what was God's purpose with the old sacrifices? We need to grapple with that. If we're going to say that the old sacrifices didn't do the job, didn't provide cleansing for sin, we have to ask, why did God establish them in the first place? And actually, simply for us as students of the Word of God, simply for us as Bible readers and Old Testament readers, it's a very good, a very important question to think through. Well, Hebrews has an answer for us, and the answer falls into two parts. The writer tells us that the sacrifices of old, they could not cleanse because they were shadows of the reality to come. Verse 1 again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called A Complete Salvation, part of our series called So Great a Salvation, taken from the book of Hebrews. Now, we're going to pause here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. You know, you're able to listen to Encounter the Truth on the radio each day because of your generosity. That's also true if you listen online or through the Encounter the Truth app. It really is your financial giving that makes this program possible. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book that Jonathan has picked out. It is called Faithful God, and it's written by Sinclair Ferguson. And in this book, Ferguson is helping us take a look at the book of Ruth, seeing that it contains far more about God than its small size would suggest. The book also helps us understand Christ himself, and indeed the whole Bible, more clearly and more fully, and shows us much more about God's grace and providence. We'd love to send you a copy of this book, Faithful God, as our thank you for your financial support. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. If you joined us a little bit late, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So grab your Bible and meet us there as we get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan.
0: I saw on TV just the other day a program all about how amusement parks create their special effects for their rides and attractions. I'm a bit of a kid at heart, I guess, so I found all that fascinating. I was completely engrossed in it for a while. But of course, these folks, they specialize in using lights and projection to create vivid images that are actually empty in and of themselves. Holograms, projections, mere shadows. You can be in a ride or an experience and see something, maybe you see a person, maybe you see a figure, something else, and you almost want to reach out and touch it, but the reality is that there is no substance there. Be felt. The image, the projection, the shadow, it's telling a story, it's part of a narrative, but in and of itself, it is entirely empty. In his grand eternal plan of redemption, God chose to shine a light on Jesus at Calvary, on his great saving work. And the shadow of that reality extended way back in time, way back in the Old Testament itself. The shadow of Calvary extended way back to the earliest days of the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the offerings. And as that shadow fell on the early days, here is how God chose For that great coming reality, the reality of Christ and his cross, here is how God chose for it to be seen. He chose for it to be seen through the sacrifice of animals offered again and again, year after year, at the temple. The priests came year after year, day after day, bringing the same sacrifices to the Lord to deal with sin. And to the participant and to the observer, it might have seemed that they were the real deal, the true substance of salvation. It might have seemed that the lifeblood of the bull and goat was the actual payment for sin. But perhaps to our great surprise, those sacrifices never actually achieved anything in terms of true forgiveness. Actual payment for sin. They were shadows of reality. They weren't reality themselves. The writer puts it very strongly, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins the blood of bulls and goats. It doesn't satisfy the judgment of God. It doesn't pay the price of a human life. How could it? But it does tell part of the story of redemption. It's not the substance, but it's an important part of the narrative. It is a shadow of the good things to come. It is a shadow of Calvary and what God would do. And as a shadow... This is the element of the story of redemption that the temple sacrifices tell. They tell us that for sin to be paid for, for guilt to be cleansed, for consciences to be wiped clean, blood is going to need to be shed. God's set price for sin is death. The only way to deal with sin is the shedding of blood. Rebellion against the creator God, it is always a capital offense. The sacrifices of old, they couldn't cleanse because they were mere shadows of reality. And next, they could not cleanse because they were reminders of sin. If the temple sacrifices had been anything more than a shadow, they would have been effective and the offerings would have ceased. But the temple sacrifices continued year by year for centuries and they needed to continue. And here's why, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. I feel very grateful that we've got a good mechanic down near our house. I think I've said that before. A good mechanic is a wonderful person to find, a great friend to keep. One of the things I appreciate about our mechanic is that he doesn't always rush at getting me to spend money to fix every little thing that happens with the car. I've had a light shining on the dashboard of of my car for some months now. When it first appeared, I asked him about it. I said, what's this? Do I need to do something? He checked it out with the computer and said it was a minor issue that had essentially no impact at all on function, but it would cost $500 for him to go in and repair it. He said to me, look, don't bother. I wouldn't bother. Just leave the light on the dash and forget about it. And of course, I was very happy to take that particular piece of advice. I needed no convincing. The sacrifices of the old covenant, they didn't fix anything. But they were a bright and shining light on the dashboard of Israel's spiritual consciousness. They were a bright light telling the people of Israel that there was something fundamentally wrong within Each time the Israelite went to the temple and saw an animal bleeding and dying for sin, each time they were reminded that they had a problem, they were reminded that sin is costly and the penalty is high. And the fact that the sacrifices just kept on happening year after year after year, never reached a conclusion, never reached an end, it told them that the problem had not been dealt with, had not gone away. These sacrifices, they could only be a flashing light, a reminder, and nothing more. And they could only be such because, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrifices given under the Old Testament law, they didn't fix anything. They didn't remove sin, but they were a shadow of reality. They were a shadow of the greater sacrifice yet to come. And more than that, they were also a constant reminder A flashing light speaking of the urgent problem of sin. And so the writer wants to say to these believers, don't be tempted to go back to that. Don't be tempted to return to the rites and rituals of the old covenant. They won't save you. They were there to prepare and to anticipate Something else and that's something else. Of course, it was the coming of Jesus Christ It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross by utter contrast to the sacrifices of old The writer wants to show us that the sacrifice of Jesus it now cleanses perfectly it removes entirely the stain of sin and the first reason for the effectiveness of Jesus And his sacrifice, the reason his sacrifice cleanses perfectly, it's simply this. Jesus came to do the Father's will. Verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. It's a great tradition of diplomacy that visiting leaders will give kings and presidents imaginative gifts when they come to visit them in their country. But within this tradition, world leaders often become recipients of strange and probably quite unwanted gifts. American presidents have perhaps received the widest variety of these. Theodore Roosevelt received a zebra and a lion from Ethiopia. What do you do with that? (laughs) George W. Bush received 300 pounds of raw lamb from Argentina. Lyndon B. Johnson received a Burberry raincoat from Great Britain that didn't actually fit him. He ended up asking the British Prime Minister if he could take it back to London and exchange it for another size. (laughs) Perhaps the most inventive was the crocodile insurance policy that Barack Obama received from an Australian leader just in case he should lose a limb to a hungry croc on a visit to that country. Whatever the gift, the president's job on every occasion is to smile, receive the gift, and then pass it on to an aide who will quickly archive it or warehouse it or destroy it as appropriate. According to Old Testament law, God received sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all kinds of offerings, verses five and six. But here's what we're told about all those offerings. He took no pleasure in them. He kept receiving them for years and years, centuries and centuries, but here's the thing, he didn't like them. They were shadows. They were reminders, but they didn't actually please God the judge. They didn't satisfy his requirements for the forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus came into the world, he took upon his lips these Old Testament words from the psalm, the words of verse 7, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He came into the world to be the perfect and pleasing sacrifice for sin. He came into, in, into the world to be the sacrifice for sin that God actually desired, the sacrifice that would be given in accordance with God's own will.
1: Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth in a message called A Complete Salvation. Now, we do have to pause here. But we'll continue next time, so hope you'll make it a point to tune in. If you want to connect with Encounter the Truth and Jonathan, you can do so a number of different ways. Obviously, listening to the program on the radio. You can also listen online or through the app. But did you know we also have a YouTube channel? When you're on YouTube, go ahead and check out Encounter the Truth and then like and subscribe. That way you'll know when we add new content. We'll link you to that through the website. So again, visit EncounterTheTruth.org. Encounter the Truth is able to stay on the station because you pray for and you give to this ministry. So thank you for giving to and supporting Encounter the Truth this month. And as you give a gift of any amount, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Faithful God. It's an exposition of the book of Ruth. And Jonathan, what would you expect someone to walk away from this book having gleaned?
0: Well, one of our great challenges when we study the Old Testament is to see how it fits into the bigger storyline of Scripture and into the wider plans and purposes of God. And an exposition like this of an Old Testament book like Ruth is of huge value to us because this is a Christ-centered exposition of Ruth— you know, we may know that the story of Ruth and Outline, maybe we maybe we learned it in Sunday school, but we, we may not know how it fits into the wider plans and purposes of God. And whenever we can be given that insight uh, into a book of the Old Testament, that is a treasure
1: for us. And I think that this, this study of the book of Ruth by Sinclair Ferguson is, is going to be a treasure to you. Well, we want to send you a copy of the book Faithful God, an exposition of the book of Ruth as our way of saying thanks for your support. To give a gift online, come visit our website, encounterthetruth.org, or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH, or again, our website is encounterthetruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer, Mark Bretta, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.